Father God, um, thank you again for um, oh, everything, <laughs> uh, specifically though this time and this place that you have brought us together to hear from you and uh, to hear from you as you speak to us through, through your word. Lord, there is, there is much on my heart this morning and much I would like to say, um, probably enough so that we could stay here all day and not exhaust it. Um, uh, but God, I want, I want to say this morning what you want me to say. And so I, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, uh, the words that flow out of my mouth, would be the words that, that you would have me say. I pray, God, that you would, you would use me to clearly articulate the, the truths of, of your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that as that happens, you would, you would give understanding, not just a, a, a pure intellectual understanding, but, but, but really um, an understanding that flows from our heart, that we would, that we would truly know, um, that truly desire to know, spiritual understanding. And, and as you give that to us, Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a desire to apply these truths um, in our lives and that we would, we would do that primarily for your glory, but we would also do that um, for the good of your church, um, for the good of ourselves individually, our families, and this church corporately. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your unfailing love for us. Again, we, we are here because of you, and we're also here for you. It's in your precious holy name that we pray. Amen. Okay, um, Peter's Pattern for Preaching Part and this is the last part of this Peter's pattern for, for, for preaching. Um, and I've t- titled today's sermon, I guess, which is not fancy or anything like that, um, Response, Appeal, and Results. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read um, Acts 2, verses 12 through 41. And we started this, this series in verse 12. And um, we're going to conclude this, this particular series. Of course, we're going to continue in Acts. But we're going to conclude this Peter's pattern for preaching in verse 41 um, today. Um, before I start reading, though, I want to give you kind of the overall, again, points of this, 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 this series. The first one was this. It was bold and unashamed, right? So, so his preaching was bold and, and unashamed. Two, it was expositional. Three, it was gospel-centric. And we know there were sub-points sub in all of these. These are just the main points. Four, it was Christo. Centric, which is what we concluded last week, and that was a two-part one. Um, it was Christocentric, so we narrow, narrowed it down from gospel-centric to Christocentric. And then four today, it's just just response, appeal, and results. And so the verses specifically for today's sermon are, are 37 through 41. So again, I'm going to read. You want to follow along? Um, Acts 2:12 through 41. I'll, I'll take a quick break at 37 just to remind you of where we're going to be today, and then we'll, we'll move forward. Um, if I can find my place, okay. Okay, it wasn't 12, it was verse 14. I'm sorry, that's why I was confused. I had to stop and stare. All right, starting in verse 14, not verse 12. Um, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea 
and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Okay, now starting in verse 37. This is, this is what we're going to be looking at today, 37 to, to 41. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, uh, far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. There's two things missing. Um, I say missing. They're really not, but 
two things absent. Same thing, right? Um, from Peter's sermon, really at the end of Peter's sermon. First is this. Peter preaches the gospel. Remember we said we could title this, this series, Peter Preaches the Gospel. Peter preaches the gospel without giving an invitation or an altar call. In fact, um, th- this idea of an invitation or, or an altar call, um, as, as we know it today, right, as we probably envision it in most churches today, is, is absent um, from any biblical text. We have no um, support for it. In fact, I think most of us who've, who've witnessed and experienced these altar calls are, are nothing more than um, man's attempt at manipulating other people into responding. We're going to see a response today in the text, right? A response uh, as the result of, 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 of the preaching and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the response that we see was in no way, shape, or form manipulated um, by, by man's attempt. Right? But it was brought on by the moving of the Spirit of God. Right. So, so we see we see this 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 absent from from Peter's sermon. Okay, we can talk about that more sometime if you want to. Right, our, our view on that. But the other thing that we see absent um, from the end of his sermon is um, application. He doesn't uh, explicitly give any application um, at the end of his sermon. Now, now we're going to see application, but not not at the end of the sermon. Um, listen, many preachers today. Uh, tend to build their their sermons around application, okay? And, and this is a problem. Uh, they'll say, you know, I'm, I I want to talk about how um, how people can have a happier home. Right, that's a good thing, but I want to talk about how people can have a, uh, have a happier home. So so I'm going to come up with the five M's for a happier home. And so they start to build their sermon around this, this idea, the five M's that they've come up with for, for a happier home. And then they go to Scripture and, and try to, you know, piece things together so they can have this application-driven uh, 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 sermon. All right, listen. Sermons should be built around Scripture, all right? And then, as meaning is drawn out, application can be given as, as necessary, in fact, I believe that as, as, as the man of God builds his sermon around Scripture and seeks to draw out the meaning, often application will naturally um, flow from the Scripture as it's being taught, which is, which is kind of what's happening today in part. Here's what I want you to understand, okay? The primary, and we, we see this with Peter, and this is why I'm, I'm addressing this. Um, the primary role of the pastor, okay, preacher um, from the pulpit is not to give application, but it's to proclaim, thus says God. Right? Now, we do that, and we seek to do that, right? Because we're, we're like vastly removed here in the 21st century from biblical times, okay? So, so when we get up here and we seek to say, thus says God, right, we, we have to do that within this historical, contextual, grammatical framework, right? When, when Paul said something to, let's say, the Corinthian church, okay, he didn't have to say what he said and explain what he said, 
Okay, because they, they it was within that context. They understood the context. They understood the, the language in which he spoke, right? They were a part of it. They got it, right? So when we get up here to say, thus says God, we, we have to explain, right, what, what, what was going on, what, what, God is actually, what God is actually saying um, saying in that. And as we do that, many times application will flow from that, okay? Now, now we want to give you application, okay? But here's the problem with giving you application, all right? Uh, and sometimes scripture is very narrow on, on maybe application. But many times we'll examine a, a passage of scripture, okay? And the, it says what it says, right? The, the truth is what the truth is, right? There's only one, one meaning of scripture, but there might be countless um, applications to that, to that meaning or, or to that truth. And so if I explain that meaning and that truth to you, and then, and then I give you an application, right? Maybe, maybe something just pops into my mind because it, it actually applies to me directly in a way that affects me. And I, and I give you that example of application. It might not apply to anyone else in, in the congregation. And it's great that it applied to me, but it might not apply to you at all. And so you're thinking, well, well that's great. I mean, that applies to you, and how does that apply to me? I mean, we, we might spend a week trying to get specific applications to everyone and, and not even cover it all. So that, that's, if you will, a danger in, in, in emphasizing too much on, on application. Um, and this is, this is two things that I want you to know concerning application. First is this. The desire, and, this is, and I'm speaking for, I think, Randy here, as well as I would say probably most uh, uh, pastors and, and preachers, the desire in preaching okay, is to proclaim and draw out the meaning of God's word with the confidence that as the Holy Spirit gives conviction and understanding, he will bring about the desired results and applications in and for each individual. Now, you have, second thing is this, you have a responsibility to seek out application. Again, we, we want to give it, especially where it's obvious. We, we want to do that. I want to do that, right? Um, but you also have a responsibility to seek out application. You come here and you hear the word and then you go home and throughout the week I pray and I trust that, that you're contemplating upon that which you heard. Uh, and not my voice, not my words, but the truth of God's word, that you would contemplate the truths of God's word that you heard proclaimed throughout the week. And as you contemplate that and as you spend time in prayer concerning that, and as you spend time maybe engaging others, your spouse, your, your friends, other people in the church, maybe Randy or myself, as you, as you contemplate and engage others in dialogue ab about those truths, application, application will come. Right. So we, we, we trust the Holy Spirit to do his work in that, but we also have responsibility in that as well. So Peter preached the gospel, all right? And when he did, he left the results up to God. He trusted the Holy Spirit to do what he does. Right? What is that? Well, that's two, two things I have listed here is to convict people of their sin. We see that in John 16, 8. In John 16, 8... Um, 
when he comes, he will what? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You know, that's part of the Holy Spirit's work. Peter couldn't convict, right, these people over their sin. It's the Holy Spirit's role. So he left it to the Holy Spirit to convict, right? He left it to the Holy Spirit that he would regenerate. Ezekiel 36, 26, right, talking about removing the heart of stone, right, and replacing it with the heart of flesh. The heart of stone, okay, heart of stone can't respond, okay, to the to the gospel, all right? And the command is to repent and believe and be saved, but the heart of, heart of stone can't respond to that. The heart of stone won't respond to that, right? The Holy Spirit needs to remove that heart of stone, replace it with the heart of flesh. And when that happens, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction upon that person, right, that person will, that person will respond. And so Peter, at the end of his sermon, right, he, he, he initially left it where he did, trusting in the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. So what happened after Peter preached? We see it here in 2, 37. So Peter preaches his sermon. He ends the sermon with the proclamation that Jesus is both God and Messiah, right? Initially, no application. There, there's some to follow, right? And in verse 37, it says this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, as a result of the proclamation of the gospel, the hearing of the gospel, and the work of the Holy Spirit, people were compelled to respond. It wasn't a, they were compelled to make a decision or they were compelled to accept something. They were compelled to respond. It says that they were cut to the heart, a sudden stab or prick of the heart. Listen, this was evidence of their brokenness over their sin. It's as if they were undone for what they had done and for whom they had done it against. So we see their, their brokenness as a result of the conviction and the work of the Holy Spirit, so much so that they cry out, what must we do, implied to be saved. You know, I was thinking about that. I'm, I'm getting off track here, but I don't care. I was thinking about that this morning as we were, as we were singing. And I was thinking about that even in the relationship of like this whole altar call and, and invitation, you know, and, and, and how I believe that it's, it's most often used to manipulate people into a response, right? I don't, I don't want to manipulate. I don't want people to be manipulated in responding to the gospel because if they're manipulated in responding to the gospel, they're not actually responding to the gospel. They're responding to a person. And what we want is we want people to respond to the gospel as the Holy Spirit is, is working in and through them, right? And, and I was thinking, I, I don't want, and I don't want to see, and you're, you're never going to see it here, right? Um, doing this, this, this altar call thing, right? If, if we had a guest preacher and he did an altar call, he would, people would probably come forward, but probably to, to, to take him off the stage, right? But what, what would thrill me more than anything is even in the midst of a sermon, right? Or, or, or uh, teaching or whatever the case is, is to have someone just cry out, interrupting everything. Oh, what must I do to be saved? 
right? That's obvious evident of the work of the Holy Spirit, right? The lost person, right, or the person content in their sin, I should say this, doesn't cry out after hearing the gospel, what must I do to be saved, right? We see it here in this text. What an amazing work, though. Amazing, sorry, evidence of the Spirit's work and regeneration and salvation to hear, to hear the lost cry out, what must I do to be saved? Right? Evidence that he's working. When we manipulate people into doing something, that's not evidence. Right? One of their own volition, unsolicited, they cry out, what must they do? Right? That's, that's evidence. It doesn't mean they're saved, but it's evidence pointing in, in, in that direction. So it's after, okay, it's after the crowd responds to the preaching of the gospel, what must we do to be saved, right? That Peter then gives application, right? And he does give application. Um, after they respond, Peter and the apostles. Now, uh, in, in framing this together, and, and I don't know, and, and maybe some Bible scholars do, do know or, or can, can put this uh, together, uh, together better than I can. But it says in the text, um, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what, what shall we do? I'm assuming this is how it played out. And if you know differently, maybe afterwards you set me straight because I, I'm, I'm really just assuming here. Um, Peter preached, right? And then he was done preaching, right? And it says they, they cried out to him, the apostles. So I'm assuming after he finished preaching, as the, the, the crowd was mulling about with Peter and the apostles, they, they were crying out to all of them. So, so he was done preaching, maybe walked off the stage and didn't have one, but you, you understand. And as they were, as they were dialoguing um, after Peter's sermon, they were, they were asking, they were, they were what, 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 what must he do to be saved? And their brokenness over their sin was, was evident. So it's then that they give this, this application. Now, one thing I want to point out before I address the application here, in verse uh, 38, um, I'm not suggesting that this is necessarily the order in which it has to be done, right? Um, but it's the order in which we have it recorded, all right? Peter preaches, right? He's done preaching. They respond, right? And, and then they give, and he gives, he gives application, right? That's, that's the order in which we have it recorded. doesn't mean that that's what we have to do. Um, for practical purposes in our, in our setting today, when especially talking about preaching the gospel, right? Um, when I proclaim the gospel, be it to, to you or to, to someone on the street that I don't know or a, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, right? I'm just going to go ahead and, and preempt any what must I do to be saved and I'm going to go ahead and tell them, right? Because um, maybe I'm not going to have the opportunity uh, in the future to tell them to respond as Peter responded with this appeal and or responded with this appeal and this this application. Okay, so again, I don't don't I don't want you to think that I'm suggesting you have to wait until they respond to tell them, repent or command them to repent and believe. But that was the application. That was the appeal. We see it in verse 38. Peter said to them, "Repent, right, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift." Of the Holy Spirit. His application, right? His his appeal, his command, his response to their response, if you will, is the same message, okay, and and really gospel command, if you will, that was proclaimed 
by one. We'll say John the Baptist. We see this in Matthew chapter 3. If you want to flip back there real quick. What was the message that John the Baptist proclaimed as he was crying out in the wilderness? He said, ask Jesus into your heart. Accept him. Make a decision. No. What did he say in, in Matthew 3, 2? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same message that Jesus proclaimed. He didn't come saying, choose me, as, as we boil it down to today. Accept, accept me. Right, no. The message Jesus proclaimed we see in 4.17. And this is when he begins his public ministry. What message did Christ, Jesus, begin his public ministry with? It was this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see it in Acts chapter 16, verse 30. Concerning the Philippian jailer, Paul and Silas in the jail, right? They're singing, earthquake, everything opens up. They don't escape because the jailer's about to kill himself because he thought they escaped. And they didn't escape. And what does, he, what does he say to them? How does he respond? Obviously, having heard the gospel proclaimed to them and the truths of, of God's word about Christ proclaimed in that jail, the jailer responds and he says, then he brought them out and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? And they responded, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And repentance includes belief and faith, and we'll look at that in just a moment. Um, at least eight more times in, in Acts, right? We have the message of repentance, right, um, for salvation. Uh, proclaimed to the apostles. This was the this was the the apostles' message. This was Christ's message. This is the answer to what must I do to be saved? When someone asks you that question, what must I do to be saved? How is a person made right with God? It's repent and believe and be saved. We'll look again uh, at that here deeply, uh, or more more intimately in just a, a moment. Um, Peter, back in Acts 2, um, as he, he makes this, this, this gospel, if you will, appeal, this, this application, it is. That's the application to preaching the gospel. What's the application of preaching? This is one of those areas where the application is clear, all right? And, and the application really doesn't change much, right? So there's one truth, right? Many applications. Well, when it comes to the truth of the gospel and the message of the gospel, there's really one application. It's repent and believe and be saved. But Peter says... Um, let me find it. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's four aspects or elements of conversion salvation uh, that, that Peter uh, addresses here. Right? And the first one is repentance. Um, so repentance is the turning from sin and the turning to Christ, right? And so, as, as I said to the Philippian jailer, what did Paul say? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's uh, repentance and faith, belief, right? They're uh, same coin, just, just opposite, or two different sides of the same coin, right? Repentance and faith. You can't have one 
um, without the other. And, and I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again because it, 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 maybe we just need to be reminded of it. I needed to be reminded of it, but I think it's a good illustration. When, when I come home from work, okay, a, a, a trip, um, especially when it's, when it's late at night and I've got my, 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 my stuff from you know, work just loaded up in my truck. I mean, I've got my, my, roller, my roller bag. Um, I've got my little laptop case. Most likely I have my, my dry cleaning that I picked up um, as, as well. And I might, might even have my little catering box because I didn't eat it on, on the way home and I'm still hungry. And so I'm tired and I'm lazy and I'm like, I don't want to make multiple trips out to the truck to bring all this stuff in. So I'm taking it all at once, right? And so I come in the house and, and I've got my laptop bag around my shoulder. I've got my my roller bag here, and, and I've got my dry cleaning kind of slung over my arm, and, and, I'm, and I'm bringing in my little catering box all at the same time, and I'm, I'm walking in the house with all this, this baggage, right? And I'm, I'm just holding on to it because I, I, I mean, I'm, 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 there's nothing else I can do with it at the time. I'm, I'm bringing it in. I walk in the door, and here comes Hannah running towards me. Daddy! She's so excited to see me, and she wants a hug, right? Well, what do I ought to do to hug her, right? I got I to gotta, I gotta throw all this stuff down, don't I? I mean, I can't. I can't hug her, right, embrace her as, as I'm hanging on to all this stuff, right? In order to embrace her, I have to let go of this stuff, all right? And so that's what I do. I drop all this stuff because it all pales in comparison, um, you know, compared to a hug from my, my sweet little girl. And so I, so I throw it all down and I embrace my child. And this is a picture of repentance and faith, right? We're hanging on to our sin, the, the, the non-believer, right, is, is, is hanging on to their sin, right? And while hanging on to their sin, they can't, they can't embrace Christ. It's, 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 it's mutually exclusive. You, you're holding on to this, and he's... So what do you have to do? Throw it down. Cast it aside. Turn from it. And when you do it, when you let that go, right, you turn to Christ in faith, and now you're able to embrace him just just a, a picture an illustration of what repentance and faith is it's it's turning from one sin and turning to the other christ repentance and faith or repentance and belief paul illustrates this actually in first thessalonians 1 9 first thessalonians 1 9 he says For they themselves report concerning um, us the kind of reception we had among you and how you, what, turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So they, they what, they turned, right, repentance. They, they, they cast it aside, right, forsook it, forsook it, forsake it, whatever, right, let it go, turned from sin, and then turning from sin, they turned to Christ, repentance, and faith. So there's four elements of conversion, right? And salvation that Peter addresses. The, the first is repentance and faith. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What shall we do? Repent and believe and be saved. So he says, um, which is the second element which isn't in the order that we think of it today, so, so just, just try to follow me here with this. Um, he says, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are many who, who twist this verse to say, well, it says that you have to, um, you have to repent and be baptized. See that? See, it says it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So in order to be, be saved or receive the forgiveness of your sins, you have to repent and um, be baptized, right? But then we have other scriptures that, that just say, what must I do to be saved, right? Paul to the Philippian jailer, he says, he says, believe, right? So one says you have to just simply repent and believe. The other one says you have to be baptized, right? Um, okay. I'm going to give you a literal rendering of this verse. And it's, it's based on the preposition ice, right? We don't see that in our English. So we kind of, again, lost in translation here. But, but um, here's the, a literal rendering of the verse. Repent. I'm going to pause there. Peter says, repent. Pause. And let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ on the basis of the forgiveness of your sins. See, the forgiveness of sin is the reason for being baptized, not, not the other way around. See, we miss that in our English translation, right? The original hearers, anytime that's addressed in Scripture, repent and be baptized, and, right? They, they didn't miss that, right? Because they understood Greek. <laughs> okay. So again, the four elements, aspects, uh, conversion, salvation, repentance, faith, right? baptism, all right, as a result of the forgiveness of sins, right? Third is the forgiveness of sin, right? Now listen, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? How is a man made right with God? Repent and believe and be saved, right? But when God saves the person who has turned from sin and turned to Christ, you know this, because I've said it a lot, and Randy said it a lot, right? When God saves that person, he does not save them, right, on the basis of their repentance or on the basis of their faith, right? But he saves them on the basis of the work of Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We know this passage, right? What does it say? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may what? May boast. See, repentance and faith, right, is God's work in your life. The person who repents and turns to Christ, that's, that's not a human work, right? The, the, the human work is the, 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 the stony heart, right, that refuses to turn to Christ. That's, that's the human work, all right? That's man's work, okay? But repentance and faith is God's work, right? It's a gift. God's work that no one may boast. And the fourth is this. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
I'm not going to rehash the whole Holy Spirit uh, uh, thing here. Uh, if you if you missed the sermon, I had a couple of sermons um, back when we started, um, actually before we went to Acts chapter 2, and we talked about uh, the triunity of God and, and the person work of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, on, it's on the website, so you can go back and you can listen to it. If you missed it and you don't have uh, access to it on the web, we can get you um, a, a copy of that. Um, but what we see in Acts when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the, the receipt of the Holy Spirit, it's not normative. So we've got a couple different instances in Acts where um, conversion happens, right? Um, baptism occurs, and after water baptism, they receive the Holy Spirit. Um, that's not normative. It, it happened like once or twice, okay? But, but it, it was an evidence thing, so it wasn't a normative thing, right? But then there's other instances in Acts where conversion, Holy Spirit, baptism. Again, um, the point was this, right? Um, that the Holy Spirit is a result of conversion, right? Uh, uh, in Acts, okay? Holy Spirit result of, of conversion, not baptism and, and timing, all right. And again, of course, now for, for all believers, sub-first century church within the framework of Acts, right? now the Holy Spirit is received by all at the moment of, of conversion. And we, we hashed that out more in, in those sermons on the Holy Spirit, so you can, you can look at that. Um, but but here's, how we would order this, here's how we would order this today. Um, you know, Peter says, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, uh, receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, Today it's this, right? Um, repent. Listen, this is a command for you, all right? Before I even give this um, or explain this, if, 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 if this does not describe you, it's, it's commanded to you, okay? Um, and if, if you have done this, right, it's, it's I believe, at minimum um, imperative that when we, we examine ourselves, I mean, have, we truly, have we truly obeyed in repentance and faith? Right? Where do I sit in that? But it's this. Repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins. Receive then the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then, as outward evidence of an inward change, be baptized. So that's how we would, we would order that today. That's the, really the, the, the application to the gospel proclamation today. Repent, believe, be saved, and as a result of conversion, receive the promised Holy Spirit, and then be baptized as evidence of this inward change that happened in your life. Okay, um, back to Acts 2 here, almost finished. Much more to say, but that's okay. Um, pick up in verse 41. Sticking with this Peter's pattern for preaching theme. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 saved. Not as a result of Peter's work or preaching, but they were saved as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. As ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that, that really includes all of us as believers. I mean, we're all to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
right? Um, not just Randy and I, not just our, our, our teachers, right? Um, moms and dads, right? Ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you proclaim God's glorious gospel of grace to your children, right? Um, single people, right? Maybe parents without children or children that, that aren't actively around because they're, they're, they're older and grown, right? You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ as you proclaim his good news, right, to your neighbors, right, to your family members, to strangers in line at Walmart, right? So as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are not called, this is important, to be results-oriented, but to be obedience-oriented. This is to say that success in ministry is measured in obedience. This this 3,000 being saved is not evidence that that Peter's sermon was successful. It's evidence that God did what he promised to do, that his uh, word would not return void. It's evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit, right? But it's not evidence of success for, for Peter, right? Peter was successful in his obedience to say, thus says God, and to proclaim the gospel. So let's do this. Let's pray that God would save those among us, right, who have yet to repent and believe, right? Those who we know that in the future, God, you know, let's assume that nobody in here is lost, which we know is not true. But even if that were true, we're going to pray that as God continues to bring people in this church, even if it's for one Sunday or one Wednesday, and we never see him again, right? Or someone we run into in life or we already know, we've already been witnessing to or praying to. Let's pray that God, right, save those among us who have yet to be saved. Let's also pray that we would be obedient, as Peter was obedient, right? To proclaim his glorious gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this 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 message that you have given us. Um, we thank you for um, for how you used Peter to to proclaim um, to proclaim the gospel. And he says this is the first sermon we have in Scripture. It is or first sermon of the church that we have in Scripture. Right? Um, it was an evangelistic sermon. Um, yet one that even now is encouraging us as, as believers. It's just encouraging us as we as we reflect upon this glorious gospel that has saved us. It's encouraging us to go out and do likewise. Lord, you, you've used it throughout the centuries to in part convict, to bring about in part again salvation. Lord, and so we, we, we thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we would be obedient to do as Peter did. That we would, we would obediently proclaim your glorious gospel of grace. We would do so boldly and confidently. Not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in you that you would do what you have promised to do. And that's to save and to save many. We pray that you would do that. Lord, that as your gospel goes forward, that that you would continue to do what only you can do. And that's to remove hearts of stone 
to grant hearts of flesh. That men would respond. That women would respond. That children would respond. That all would respond through your glorious gift of repentance and faith. And that they would be saved for your glory and for their good. Jesus, we love you. And we praise you for you alone are worthy.